It's always a pleasure to join you for worship on the Lord's Day. I'm delighted to be back, and I'm grateful to the elders and pastors for inviting me once more to share the pulpit and share the Word with you this morning. I would like you now to turn in your Bibles to the New Testament, to the Gospel according to St. Matthew. We will read from the 6th chapter, beginning at the 19th verse. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And we will read from verse 19 through verse 34. Let us hear now the word of the Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, There will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is not sound, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O men of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. This ends the word of God. Let us bow in prayer. Father, as we come to open your word this morning, we ask you once more for the presence of your Holy Spirit, that he might open our blind eyes, unstop our deaf ears, that he might soften our hearts, that we would hear this word, that he would guide us in wisdom that we might understand it, And that he would give us courage and strength, that we might assimilate it into our lives and go forth from this place to serve you. We ask it through Jesus Christ. Amen. Anxiety is something that comes to all of us at one time or another in varying degrees and, and intensities. The circumstances in which we live in the world lend themselves to contributing 
and causing our anxieties. I'm sure you are all aware that in today's world, particularly in recent months and in the next few days to come, there's a great deal of anxiety over the millennium, the Y2K. In fact, there are people who have become absolutely paranoid about the events that are likely to happen or that they think are likely to happen as the clock ticks to January 1st and a new millennium. Along with that, we are troubled by things all around us. We see problems throughout the world. Nations rise up against nations. We see genocide. We see hunger. We see torture. We see all manner of things going on around the world. We are plagued by health problems. We are plagued by waste problems. We are plagued by all manner of things. We see in our own economy a trend toward downsizing. The economy seems to be taking, on one hand, a, a great leap forward, and on the other hand, a great leap backwards. There is very little on which we stand in today's world, in which we can rely, in which we can take any comfort. All of these things lend themselves to building anxiety. And this is not even to mention the smaller things that come into our lives day by day that cause us worry and cause us difficulty and anxiety. Yet in the midst of this, Jesus says in his word, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now sometimes as we read those words amidst all of the things that I have described, it's easy for us to say, you know, that's easy for you to say, Jesus, in the first century. You are not living in 1999 in the threat of nuclear and biological war. You are not living in the midst of all of the things that plague us and plague our children. And we think sometimes perhaps if Jesus lived today, he might say that differently. Yet as we look back to the time in which he did say it, we see that it is not so far removed from us in terms of our anxieties in terms of the fears that were in the hearts of the people. They lived under the Roman dictatorship. Life was very cheap. Poverty was at hand for most of the people. There was a continuing and ongoing uncertainty about life, about all of the things concerning life. It's into exactly that kind of situation fraught with anxiety, fraught with fears, with darkness, of belief, that Jesus says to them, be not anxious. Jesus means exactly what he says to us. The question comes to us, how can we do that? We need to understand what anxiety is. We need to understand some of the things that cause it, what the result of it is, and how maybe we can overcome it. Now, I wish we had about three hours to do this this morning. We do not. So we are going to skim the surface of this. Uh, and I think perhaps even with that, we can come up with some things that will help us as we deal with our fears and with our anxieties. To begin with, we need perhaps to define our terms so that we know what it is that we are talking about this morning. When we talk about anxiety, we are talking about a particular kind of feeling and emotion. It sometimes is defined as a, as a brooding fear. 
something that is within us that we brood about, that we nurture, uh, that grows within us, uh, begins to make its home within us, and begins to be a consuming kind of thing within us. A painful worry that causes us grief and discomfort, that interrupts our life. It's a thing that is incapacitating to us in whole or in part. It may reach the point that we no longer can function really as normal human beings. It's a kind of obsessive fear that makes its way into our lives and destroys all normalcy of our lives and brings us to the point that that becomes the consuming thought in our lives, that it plagues us night and day, that it never leaves us, and that we somehow cannot see any way to overcome it, to get through it, to get around it, or to solve it. Now, one man's anxiety may not bother another, and vice versa. We all worry about different things, and we all worry to different degrees and intensities. But we all can slip into this idea of anxiety. Now the other side that we need to see this morning that sometimes gets confused as people deal with this text is what anxiety is not. Anxiety is not planning ahead in life. Now I'm sure you have heard as I have heard from some of the wild-eyed people that I have seen and heard on television, and I expect you have also, that if one truly believes this passage and believes that God provides all things, then one should not have life insurance, one should not have bank accounts, one should not think about tomorrow, one should simply live day by day and wait for God to drop a peanut butter sandwich out of heaven or some such thing. That is not true. Planning ahead is a part of Christian responsibility. It's an obligation for us to plan ahead. You may remember that Jesus, when he told the parables of the ten talents, the five talents, and the one talents, that they were to invest that for the future. And the one that got condemned in all of that is the one who did nothing and didn't really plan ahead at all. So planning ahead in our life it's not only not anxiety, it is also something that becomes a responsible Christian action. We need to plan for tomorrow. We need to think about the future. We need to consider some of the things that are, that are out here. And the fact is that if we do not plan ahead, we are going to promote our own anxiety. Now along with that, there's another word that we sometimes use with, in connection with this. And that word is concern. A concern is not anxiety either. We need to have concern. We need to care. If there is no concern about anything, there is no compassion for anything. If we are not concerned about certain things in our lives and in the world, we are not going to do anything, particularly in terms of the gospel, to bring relief and cure and change to those things which we are commanded to do through Scripture. Without concern, there is no reaching out to change the things in the world. 
We are indeed our brother's keeper. We are indeed those who are keepers of God's world. And we should have concern. We should be concerned about the people who are starving to death in the world. We should be concerned about the people who are persecuted. We should be concerned about abortion. We should be concerned about sin. We should be concerned about the drug culture. There are a lot of things that we should be concerned about. But being concerned about them is not the same as having anxiety about them. There's a distinction between these two things. And we need to understand that if we are properly to deal with our anxieties. Now we turn now to some of the causes of anxiety. How do we go from concern to anxiety? How is it that something comes into our lives and suddenly we find that we are indeed anxious in the sense in which I have defined the word? Now, interestingly enough, as Matthew sets forth the Sermon on the Mount, he precedes these words of Jesus about being anxious with three other things that he sets forth. And he begins this passage in verse 25 saying, therefore. So we have to look back to see what it is that precedes the therefore if we are to understand something about what the passage itself is saying. So, in verse 19, for example, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. One of the causes of anxiety for them and for us is to have the wrong treasure in the wrong place. If the possessions, if the things of life become of paramount importance to us, we are laying the groundwork for anxiety. It's interesting that Jesus, of course, uses the examples of the world in which he lives, where moth and rust consume. Now, among one of the great treasures of the people of the first century were their clothes. Most people didn't have closets full of clothes as we had. Many of the common people had but one robe and, and one mantle and one pair of sandals. You will remember that even in the Old Testament, when Gehazi, who was the servant of Elijah after the curing of Naaman, and what was it that he wanted and wanted to get for himself? More clothing, festal garments. They became a great treasure. And one of the problems with that was, as a great treasure, one of the fears that moths would get in and destroy the clothing. The treasures would be gone. And if that was where their treasure was, then they were in trouble. The same with rust. Now we think of rust as the oxidation of metal today. It perhaps did not have quite that meaning back then. The Greek word brosai was was used, and it has a, the the overtone more uh, more of, of of rotting, and it had to do with the possessions, particularly of food and grain. You remember Jesus told just such a parable about a man who tore down all his barns, going to build more barns, take on more things, have more grain, have more possessions, and what did it say? Thou fool, today thy soul 
is required of thee. So Jesus is saying to us, as he leads into this whole area of anxiety, don't get your treasures ahead of your God. Don't get your treasures in the wrong place. It's not wrong for us to have treasures. Not wrong for us to have possessions. Not wrong for us to make money. But when that becomes the all-consuming goal of life, then anxiety is not far behind. Because there is a simple truth connected with that that Jesus is pointing out. If we can collect it, if we can hold it in our hand, we can lose it. If we can have it, someone somehow can take it from us. And if that's where our faith is, and if that's what we really believe to be the most important things in life, are the treasures that we can collect, then we are in big trouble. Because even as the world we live in today, we are going to discover that we are threatened. Threatened on every side, and sooner or later that threat will become a reality. And anxiety and despair and fear is going to be what's going to come into our lives. So Jesus says, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth. Lay up the right treasures, the things of God, the things of the Spirit. Now he goes from there to say also, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is sound, your whole body is full of light. Now if your eye isn't sound, then you are in darkness. Now what is he talking about? He's talking about seeing life from the wrong perspective. He's talking about seeing life through our secular human eyes rather than through the eyes of God. He's talking about wrong belief, wrong faith. If we see the world and if we see our lives only through the eyes of our humanity, we will indeed be in darkness. Because all of these things and all of these possessions, everything that we have, not only is transitory, but we can lose it at any point. And if we do not see through the eyes of God to see the right perspective in which to hold not only those things, but all of the other things that come into our lives, we will indeed be in darkness. There will be no light. There will be only despair, only fear. Only that somehow those things, somehow, some way, will be taken from us. Somehow, some way, then we become at the mercy of the world, at the mercy of fate and of circumstance, with no help and no strength, nothing to back us up, nothing to help us. And we look through these darkened eyes and see only despair and fear. Jesus said, in summing that up, no one can serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is a Semitic word that generally means money or riches. Jesus is saying to us, you cannot love God and put riches and money on the same level. God either comes first or he does not come at all. We are called to love God, to love God only, to lift up Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and King above all things, above everything in the world, including our life, 
and our possessions. And the moment that we try to compromise that, problems begin to arise. When we begin to compromise God for the sake of our money, our possessions, our social positions, all of the other things that can become gods to us, we are in deep trouble and anxiety is going to be the result. The effect of all of this is that without putting all of these things in proper perspective, without seeing what our possessions are and should be, without seeing the things of the world and the things that we have through the eyes of God, without understanding that we are here to serve God, not self, not nation, not community, not anybody else, to serve God first, then those things that God leads us to. Jesus sums it up a little later, seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. Now all of these things can begin to cause anxiety for us. And what is the result of that? What happens to us? Well, the first thing the scriptures make very clear to us is that being anxious will not change anything. Jesus said it won't add a cubit to your span of life. We can worry about things, but it won't change them. Simply being anxious never achieves an answer. And as a matter of fact, Scripture makes clear and our experience backs it up that what it will do is make it worse. The more anxious we become, the less logical we become, the more likely we are to make wrong or dumb or stupid decisions. The more anxiety comes into our lives, the less we are able to deal with any intelligence with the problems and the difficulties before us. Not only that, but as anxiety arises in us, it begins to affect everything around us. It begins to affect ourselves first. People begin to notice a difference in us. We are no longer the people that we once were. We're now anxious, irritable, short-tempered. We no longer take an interest in all of the things that we used to. It begins to affect our families. We begin to snap at our wife and holler at the kids and kick the dog and all the other kind of things that we do when we're upset and irritated. It begins to affect everyone around us. Suddenly our friends begin to take a wide berth around us. We're not pleasant to be around. No one knows what we're going to do and what we're going to say. On the job, if it happens to be there, we discover a relationship with co-workers begins to go down the drain. We discover we are students in school, that all of a sudden there's a different relationship with all of our classmates, with our studies, with everything else. Everything begins to go down the drain because we are consumed by some anxiety that has begun to change our entire lives. That being true, the next question, what do we do about it? How can we change it? When these kind of things begin to eat away at us, and they don't have to be major things, 
Even minor things can upset us. And it begins at a very, very early age. Even our children. If you have opportunity when you can really draw them out, you'll be amazed at the number of things over which they are anxious. Things which they fear. Things which can consume them. I remember as a little boy going to bed at night and turned the light out. I was sure there was a monster under my bed. And if I so much as dangled an arm off, he was going to grab me and have me. To the point that I could hardly sleep. And it took all the actions of my parents to be able to put to rest an anxiety that grew out of my own imagination. And I wasn't big enough to know what anxiety was about. What do we do? How do we cure it? How do we as Christians begin to deal with all of this? Well, to go perhaps to a more pragmatic understanding at the, for the moment. A number of years ago, a man named Thomas Kepler worked up what he called a worry table. He analyzed all kinds of people, and their anxieties and their fears and all of this. And he developed a worry table that can be helpful to us. He said in his study, 40% of everything you worry about will never happen. Think about it. I can remember over my lifetime all the things that I have worried about. And I dare say that perhaps more than 40% never happened. Something triggers some thoughts and you say, oh boy, this is going to happen and that's going to happen and next week this is going to happen. And before we get through with it, this is going to happen and something else is going to happen. And we work ourselves right into a tizzy and 40% of the time never happens. And it's true. There are times, I used to say to myself and perhaps still do, that I'm sometimes three or four months ahead in my worrying. And most of it never comes. Now, 30% of all we worry about, Kepler says, is about old decisions that we cannot alter. I'm sure you've had that experience, as I have. Something comes up and we have to make a decision about it. We have to do something about it or take some action, and we do. We look at all the facts, we take it to the Lord, and we think, well, this is the thing to do, and we do it. Then in the next day or two, we begin to second guess. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should have done something different. Now, because I did that, thus and so is liable to happen, and thus and so is liable to happen, and we work ourselves right up into a real tizzy. 30% of the time, those are the kind of things that we are anxious about. 12% of the time, and I suspect this figure is a bit low, one of the things that causes us anxiety is other people's criticism of us. People who criticize us, about things that are mostly untrue, made by people who generally feel inferior. Sometimes today we call it peer pressure. How many kids got to have those designer genes to go to school for fear of what somebody is going to say if they don't? Or they've got to go here or they've got to go there because somebody is going to criticize it. And it's not just for our children, it's for us. How much of our lives... Do we really try to live to keep from being criticized by someone else? 
whether it's right or wrong. Some 12%, says Kepler. 10% of the things that we worry about concern our health, which gets worse as we worry. Only today are we beginning to understand the real power and danger of stress and anxiety. Heart attacks, strokes, ulcers, blood pressure, all kinds of things happen as a result of anxiety. And a lot of that anxiety grows over fear of our health. We get a pain or an ache and we don't know what it is. Sometimes we're almost afraid to go to the doctor because we're afraid of what he's going to tell us. And we begin to stew about it. It's not long before we believe that we probably have got terminal cancer. We have got some incurable disease. All kinds of things are going to happen to us. And 10% of the time, that's what we worry about. And it only gets worse. 8%, says Kepler, is legitimate. There are some real concerns in life. There are some real things that cause us grief and real things that cause us problems that we aren't sure what to deal with, and they drive us right up the wall. Now, if we turn that group of statistics around, we're not only saying that only 8% is legitimate, we're saying 92% we had not to have to start with. Think if you could remove 90% of all your fears and anxieties from your life. The rest of your life would be happy, productive, and in a whole different category than where we find it today. Now, what this does is confirm what we've already said. What we must do is to get our values right. If we're going to worry, worry about the right things. To get our values in the right order. To know what truly is important and what is not. To remember that Christ is the master of all of life at all times. All things are in his control. We are not at the mercy of fate and circumstance. We are a people whom God has called and has, has loved and whom God has promised he will care for. That doesn't mean we get everything we want. It means we get what we need in God's sight to do the work that God has given us to do. We have to see that we are living our life to the glory of Christ and to his kingdom and not to our own success or success as defined by the world. When we can do that and Christ is the master of all of life, then we can let him worry about it. And we don't have to. We can recall what God has done for us in the past. The Israelites used to do that very regularly. Remember the Exodus. Remember what God has done in the past? He's not going to forsake us in the future. Seek first, Jesus said, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And let God add the other things as he will. To live one day at a time. The lady in one of my congregations years ago, and I would call on her, the little lady, we would sit in her kitchen and drink a cup of tea, and on the wall beside us she had a plaque. And it said this, Today is the tomorrow that I worried about yesterday, and everything is still all right. One day at a time. Now when we lose sight of these facts, 
that in every circumstance God is with us and in control of all things. When we get our values mixed up and we forget his promises concerning our future, anxiety is going to set in. Be not anxious, he says. And with that he gave a funny little picture. And I always read this passage with the idea that Jesus had a little twinkle in his eye when he talked about this. He said, look at the birds of the air. They don't reap, they don't sow, they don't gather into barns. And God takes care of them. Your heavenly Father does. What comes to my mind, I see an image. It's nightfall, it's dusk. The bird has gone to roost, this nest, or on a limb. And then we see this bird. He begins pacing up and down on this branch. I wonder if there'll be a worm out there tomorrow morning. I wonder if there'll be bugs out there for me to eat. Maybe I'll starve to death. And all night long he's going to pace up and down. He doesn't do that. And as silly as that would be, is as silly as we would be if we spend our night doing the same thing. Or he said, look at the lilies, how they grow. Not even Solomon in all his glory is arrayed like that. And that conjures up another image. Can't you see the lilies out here amongst all of the flowers? Begin to say, boy, I'm not as pretty as the orchid. I wonder how I'm going to get by. I'm not anywhere near as good looking as everybody else. What am I going to do to be a part of all of this? And the flower begins to worry and worry and worry. Jesus said the same thing is true for you. Why are you worrying about what you're going to eat? What you're going to wear? You're of greater, greater uh, importance to me than all of these other things. So be not anxious. Seek first his kingdom. Live one day at a time. Trust him with each and every day. And remember perhaps the words of 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares about you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are so weak sometimes. We forget so easily your love and your concern for us. We can get so caught up and so wrapped up in the things of this life that indeed we become anxious about all things. We fail then to find the happiness and the joy and the comfort and the peace that you have for us. Deliver us from our anxieties and our fears. Remind us, our Father, to put all things in the right perspective, to see all things through your eyes, and to trust you with each and every day. And to know that we cannot change yesterday, we cannot live tomorrow, and today is the only day that we have, and you have made it, and let us rejoice and be glad in it. All of this, our God, we would ask in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.